You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Crypt Top C, and you're listening to my podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Today's episode is a very special episode. This is an interview which I conducted to honor and to praise and to set up and explain everything that has to do with me joining Sound Talent Media. Sound Talent Media is a podcast platform who has an amazing amazing roster of other great podcasts up there. We are 15 podcasts strong. Just to name a few, we got the Axe to Grind, Krista Makes a Podcast, there's the Fly on the Call, the Honest as Fuck Show, you got the Overnight Drive, that one time on tour, the X-Men with Doc Coyle, and the Punk Rock MBA Podcast, that's just to name a few. There are so many more. Uh, the Tone Mob podcast, and uh, I am super stoked to be a part of it. To honor that and to dig a little bit deeper into what that means to be a part of this network, what that's going to mean for all of you Vox and Hops heads. I set up an interview with one of the main dudes that set up Sound Talent Media. Sound Talent Media was set up by Matt Anderson, Tim Borer, and Dave Shapiro from the Sound Talent Group, who run one of the world's biggest booking agencies. So here is my chat with Dave Shapiro, one of the main dudes behind the Sound Talent Group, Velocity Records, and now Sound Talent Media. Here it is, a very special episode. This is Vox and Hobbs episode number 184. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Dave Shapiro of the Sound Talent Group. He's also just launched Sound Talent Media. Uh, I am super stoked to be with you. I'm also super stoked to, to have Vox and Hops as a part of Sound Talent Media. Uh, let's start with a simple yet complex question, Dave. How have you been coping with 2020? <laughs> Can I ask to skip that one? <laughs> no. Um, no, it's it's uh, honestly been up and down, man. You know, uh, some days I wake up and, you know, it's great. And I'm just ready to hit the ground running and it seems like a normal day. And other days it's just depressing and it's hard to kind of motivate myself to to, you know, motivate others and get to work and just, yeah, it's just, uh, so I think for the most part, I probably have one of those days a week, like one of those like darker days, but Mm. outside outside that, I think just trying to, um, keep the ball rolling down the hill, you know, where do you go on those days? How do you bring yourself up and everyone else around you in the meantime? Well, my wife and dogs are always a good, a good hang to, for my mental health. Um, and then the other thing is I'm a pilot and, uh, flying definitely gets my head like in, you, you know, you really have to be in, in the game when you're flying. Right. So like that helps me focus and helps me not be distracted by all the nonsense, you know, in the world and whatever's going on outside the plane kind of doesn't matter in those moments. So I think that's, uh, that's probably one of my bigger, escapes to try to get my head on straight. I can imagine that it's a, it must be very freeing and uh, <laughs> your life is in your hands more than anywhere else. So <laughs> it, it can definitely put you in the right frame of mind to get back on track and be a hustler again. Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, out of everyone that's been hit, you know, the hardest uh, booking agencies are probably right up there with the, uh, you know, artists and everyone else. So uh, as you saw everything crumbling and falling apart, uh, what was your mindset? How did you feel like you were going to get through this? You know, as a business owner, it's scary. You know, we have uh, 20 employees and, you know, we, we feel, I say we, I have two, two business partners in Sound Talent Group, um, Matt Anderson and Tim Bohr. And, you know, we, we feel a strong obligation to our staff. They've, a lot of them have moved across the country to work with us. And, um, you know, they're, they're a really great group of people. So, you know, I think the first thing was, well, how do we, how do we keep the train on the tracks? You know, like, how do we keep everyone working? How do we keep them employed? How do we keep a paycheck going for them when we've got no revenue? I mean, literally overnight, just, you know, a hundred percent of our revenue was coming from live performances, which are not a thing right now. So, uh, you know, that was, that was the big thing is like, okay, like how do we figure this out? How do we keep it going? And we really quickly had to pivot and try to get creative and come up with other ideas and raise funds and so on and so forth. And, uh, it's been a struggle, but it's also been a lot of fun in a lot of ways. We've been able to spend some time doing things that we would have never had time to do. For example, starting a podcast network. That was something that we spoke about literally from the first day we started the company. But we were so busy running the company, it was not even in the realm of possibility. Um, This really allowed us to take a step back, look at things like that and some other opportunities and say, all right, let's now let's focus on these things. So that's what we've been doing. And uh, it's been great. You know, we we did end up having to furlough a few employees, but uh, like pretty much every company, you know, just trying to make it work. But um, they are furloughs. They're not layoffs. Our goal and intention is to bring everyone back. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I, I feel like I always get asked this lately, but, you know, what was the difference between a furlough and a layoff? And, you know, we're still paying benefits for people that are furloughed and, you know, they're, we do. And then, you know, also like we really, we really like these people. And so like every Friday we do a company happy hour on zoom and, you know, whether you're, you know, furloughed or not or whatever, you know, people come and hang and it's great. So it's, you know, trying to make the best of it. Uh, absolutely. We have to at this point. And especially as a business owner, I can only imagine that the weight is just so much heavier than just, you know, an indiv- for an individual because you have so many individuals underneath you. Uh, for people that don't know who Sound Talent Group is, uh, I see you guys as uh, the living embodiment of the Jerry Maguire movie <laughs> because you basically <laughs> all just left huge booking agencies to go form your own artist friendly agency which is amazing and it happened two years ago and now just to name like a very small portion of your roster which is an incredible roster you know you guys got lamb of god dying fetus you got breaking benjamin black label society you even got hansen for fuck's sake you know <laughs> so so <laughs> it's very cool that you guys get to you got to do that show me the money jerry mcguire thing that every you know thousands of people have imagined doing just like saying fuck this, I'm going and I'm going to start my own company. And it worked. It, it super worked. So, so you guys, it takes a lot of balls to do that. So tell me about the whole thing leading up to starting Sound Talent Group. 
Yeah, uh, well, great question. When we started the company, myself, Matt, and Tim, my partners that I mentioned earlier, the three of us were at the same agency um, for a number of years. Tim and I had been coworkers uh, all the way dating back probably 13 years at that point when we left UTA. We'd already been coworkers for 13 years. So we did... I think he was at the agency group for 11 years and I was there for 10. I think he was there about one year before me. And then uh, Matt, um, I actually was the one that brought Matt into the agency group um, probably maybe like six or seven years before we left UTA. Um, so for those who don't know, the agency group was one of the largest music agencies in the world that was only focused on music, meaning it didn't have film and TV and all these different kind of certain different um, aspects of the agency world that like the full service, what they call agencies have. Um, and at the time, UTA, United Talent Agency, was probably one of the, if not the largest film and TV agency they didn't have music. They they did. They technically had a music department, but it was you know very very small. I mean, I think at that point in time they probably had like six hundred employees, and I think like six of them were in the music department. You know, so wow. Um, so they ended up acquiring the agency group, and through that acquisition, myself, Matt, and Tim ended up at UTA, and um, so we ended up there. Uh, we were there for about three and a half years. Um, in the agency world, usually when you're an agent, you have an employment agreement, a contract with whatever agency you work for. And so we were under contract. Uh, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I know for me, about a year in, I was like, this is, this is not for me. You know, it's really corporate. Um, you know, everyone, not me, not most people in the music department, but everyone was wearing suits and ties to work. And it was really just like, it was a weird vibe for guys who do book bands like like you were saying, you know, Killswitch Engage or Parkway Drive, you know, and like, um, you know, it just wasn't wasn't a fit. The agency group, although a big company, had a little bit more of an independent vibe. Um, and so when we went there, you know, it was a great learning experience. It was a great company. It just wasn't great for us. And so... After three and a half years, we kind of had our, as, as you put it, like our Jerry Maguire moment where our contracts were up and we all left and we started this company. And fortunately, though, unlike Jerry Maguire, more than one artist came with us. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that would have been ugly. But <laughs> yeah, so we had almost every single artist we represented come with us, um, which were really, really fortunate. And then something happened that we weren't expecting, which was we started getting calls from agents that were at other agencies saying, hey, like what you guys did is really cool. And, you know, we're not really liking the corporate vibe at our agency. And, you know, and so we end up in these conversations with a bunch of these great agents that we respected and were friends with. And, you know, within a year, uh, yeah, we were year, year and a half, we were about 20 people, um, eight agents, uh, you know, just really growing. And, you know, until COVID hit, 
uh, you know, we were in the process of starting to hire more people and, you know, the growth was just, it was great and it was really working. Um, you know, COVID hit and, you know, here we are, but, uh, we still have a great company, great staff, great roster, just got to get to the other side of it. Which, which we all will. We all will. And we have to stay positive throughout all of it. Something that helps me stay positive is, of course, craft beer. You know that I like craft beer. I've been told that you don't like craft beer. So, so Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives, talking about some music and talking about craft beer. What, what do you have on your side there, uh, Dave, that you're drinking today? I've got a Bubbly, which is basically... An- Another brand of like a, you know, LaCroix, one of those type of drinks. This one is Blackberry. Mm, Very good, very good. Uh, On my side, I am drinking uh, one of your clients' brews, uh, Lama God's collab with BrewDog. This is their Ghostwalker non-alcoholic IPA, which was uh, hooked up to me via Randy Bly uh, through BrewDog. Greatly appreciate that hookup. It's uh, probably one of the best non-alcoholic beers that I've had, and most of the time I don't enjoy them whatsoever. Uh, do you mind uh, touching on uh, your that you don't partake in, in craft beer and in alcohol? Uh, no, no, I don't mind at all. And but before I do, uh, I actually don't. Even though we represent them, I know Lamb of God has a beer, but as a non-beer drinker, I don't know much about their beer. Did you say that one's non-alcoholic? It is. It was. It was made for Randy specifically because Randy doesn't drink right. alcohol anymore. Yep. And uh, this is a non-alcoholic IPA, and it is really, really probably one of the best that I've had. Uh, so uh, that's Blue awesome. Just killed it. Yeah, it's a more of a malty West Coast style versus the new uh, wave of New England style IPAs that are happening. But uh, as I pour this out, tell me about your, your relationship with alcohol. Uh, sure. Well, my relationship with alcohol is non-existent. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I labeled myself as straight edge when I was very young. And, uh, I guess I'm one of the few that, uh, remained, uh, straight edge. And, uh, so I've never had a sip of alcohol in my whole life. Um, wow, that's I, awesome. you know, I was like a 12, 13 year old, like kid when I decided to, you know, kind of stay away from from uh, alcohol and drugs and so on and so forth. And then I, yeah, I've never done it. Even, you know, years of touring and being around bands and, and being on the road and all that. But it just, yeah, it just wasn't for me. Um, I think I, I grew up in upstate New York, which uh, for those listening who are aware, you know, 20, man, this makes me sound old, but like 20... 25 years ago in upstate New York, which is, you know, when I was there growing up, uh, <laughs> that was like the epicenter of straight edge hardcore, you know? And so I think that I just really gravitated towards that culture. I was a huge One King Down fan and Earth Crisis and Shy Elude and Snapcase and all the upstate New York, you know, kind of hardcore scene. And, uh, so, you know, that, that was, I, I just kind of fell into that and I really believed in what they were preaching. And, uh, I think as a lot of people got older, you know, they're just like, oh, that was just like, you know, my phase as like a teenager. And I just kind of 
I guess I never uh, left my teenage phase. <laughs> so. That's perfectly good. You know, when you find your identity early on, to, it's, it's important to stand by it and to stick to it. Absolutely, absolutely. This, uh, yeah, it, it holds true. I haven't had one in a in a while. It is um, still got that piney, malty, caramel esque yeah. for an IPA, but it's it feels like a real beer, even though it clocks in I think at point zero five ABV, less than zero point five. ABV. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, speaking about growing up, uh, let's move back. This is a classic Vox and Hops question. Uh, when you were growing up in your parents or guardian's house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the music? Uh, well, my both my parents listened to pretty different music. Um, my mom listened to... I still like can't go in a car like with her today without like just cringing the whole time. I mean... You know, just, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, Cher, Celine Dion, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't hang. Um, and then, uh, but my, my dad wasn't, no one in my family was really as into music as, as I, for them, it was never like, it was more of a background thing. But my, my dad had much better taste in, in what he listened to in the background. Um, and he was really into like, you know, the Beatles and, um, you know, Boston and Credence and stuff like that. Which is great stuff. Great stuff. And it's definitely not the first time I've heard that answer for sure. First time that uh, people don't yeah. like uh, their mom's taste, though. <laughs> 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 well, what, how did you get involved in this crazy world of, of booking bands? Were you in a band? I don't know this story. I, I'm very, I'm very curious. Uh, I was, I was in a band. That's exactly right. That's exactly how I got started. So, um, I was in a band that with like my high school buddies and right out of high school, we got signed to victory records and, uh, you know, it was a struggle, uh, being signed to victory, but that's a story for another day. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I toured for a few years and did that whole thing. And it was a great experience, and I made a lot of lifelong friends that I'm still friends with, and I met a lot of people in the music business. And so when the band broke up, I just ultimately gravitated towards the business side of it. It was, you know, I think every band usually has, like, that that one guy that kind of, like, handles all the business. And I was about to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, and I was that guy, and I think in a lot of ways I enjoyed that more than like playing in the band. And so (laughs) when the band broke up, you know, all the other guys were like, Oh, what are we going to do? Like what band, you know, start another band or this or that. And a couple of them did go on to be in another band on victory. And, um, but yeah, I just went into the business side and I tried a few different things. I tried booking. I tried, um, before I tried booking, I mean, I tried, um, promoting, I worked at some record labels and did all sorts of stuff. But when I found booking that ultimately was, uh, you know, I real I, I I pretty quickly recognized like this is this is my home. This is I, I think I've landed uh, and arrived at my final destination. So uh, I've been doing it ever since. That was like seventeen, eighteen years ago. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, let, let's uh, 
move into the the podcast network, the uh, Sound Talent Media. Um, you mentioned that you guys wanted to do this when you when you started the Sound Talent Group. Uh, how did you guys go about acquiring such an amazing roster of podcasts? And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about everyone else <laughs> that is on the network, such as uh, the Punk Rock MBA. You got the X Man with Doc Coyle. There's a uh, mm-hmm. the Peer pleasure podcast um just just so many great great content creators all under one roof now uh tell me about how you found all of these podcasts uh yeah so uh all of them are you know personal relationships of ours through one way or another um for example uh punk rock mba you brought up um finn mckinty who runs that used to do this thing uh he may even still do it i'm not sure uh called creative live and it's kind of like um, like an online class type thing with different types of like music industry, you know, whether it's a producer or this or that. But this was years ago before everything was <laughs> having to be taught on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, one of the people he had on was uh, Andrew Wade, who uh, has produced uh, Neck Deep and A Day to Remember and all these bands. And uh, I used to manage a lot of producers and I was managing Andrew. So I worked with Finn to get Andrew, uh, you know, to come out to, I think they did it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I want to say they did it in San Fran, but I don't know. I may be off, but anyway, yeah. So I worked with Finn on that and then he and I kind of stayed in touch and, you know, so on. Um, you know, the, uh, Axe to Grind, which is one of our podcasts that is, um, seems to have, you know, a lot of traction right now. Uh, that's three guys. One of those guys, one of those guys, Pat Kinlan, who's the singer of Drug Church and Self-Defense Family, was actually uh, one of my childhood best friends and still is one of my best friends to this day. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're super close. I mean, he, he, you know, we, we were roommates for a number of years and everything else. So, you know, that was one of the first calls I made. It was like, hey, like, you know, going to do this thing. And and actually, we represent his bands, too. So it was, you know, it made sense on that. And so, yeah, you know, we had different personal relationships with everyone on the network. Uh, and so uh, just kind of went from there. Um, Dewey from Pure, uh, Pure Pleasure uh, used to play in Portugal, the man. Um, he did a, like this thing with Equal Vision Records. We're kind of partnered with them. We're really close with Equal Vision. I, actually, my first job in booking was working for Equal Vision uh, way, way back. So um, so we got connected to him. And, all, and also, I used to be Portugal the Man's agent. So, you know, so, yeah, so there's a ton of just connections that, you know, yeah. So, and we're, <laughs> we're adding a bunch more. There will be a second round announcement at some point in the next couple months um, with some, some other really exciting stuff. So yeah, it's going to be cool. It is very, very cool. Well, what is the, the ultimate goal? What do you want to do with this podcast network? Well, I, I think it, it's, it, that, that's a uh, simple question with a <laughs> not so simple answer. You know, that's a big question. Um, I think ultimately what we're trying to do is figure out a way during this time to help our artists and artists that we have a relationship with stay engaged with their fans 
in a way that not only can help them now, but can be a way that can live long after the pandemic's over. So, you know, these podcasts that have grown out of this can, you know, continue to have a base and grow and be created long after this is all over. I think ultimately at some point we'd like to bring part of that to our, you know, our core business of booking. And as a lot of the podcasts grow, we'd love to, you know, once they get to the right size, put them on the road and, you know, maybe maybe record some of the podcasts actually live in, in theaters or, you know, go book live events, whether it's Q&As with some of the podcast creators like yourself, you know, um, things like that. And it's also a way during this time to keep our staff busy. And as I mentioned earlier, and kind of help um, help monetize the podcast so that, you know, th- these podcast creators can continue to do what they do and make a living. And so, yeah, I think that's ultimately the goal. You know, we just want to keep growing and we want to keep reaching new, you know, new achievements with it and just continuing to raise the bar. So, you know, our long-term goal, I think we'll be hiring more people to kind of bulk up and staff up and really grow the business out. Awesome. Awesome. I, I'm super stoked to be a part of it. Uh, the roster is amazing. That's exciting that there's even more people coming in. Uh, I just think it's a super, super cool. Uh, I'd like to, to talk a little bit about a, a little bit more of a touchy subject. You can choose not to talk about it. What, what is your opinion on all these bands that are starting to play shows at this point in, in places that they're allowed to play? Uh, yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to answer it. Uh, but I'm going to answer it with what some people may feel is dodging it and giving a non-answer, but I'm really not. This is just my actual answer. Um, It's not for me to have an opinion on it. And the reason I say that is like, you know, I represent all sorts of artists and artists are people. And as we know, people are different. They have different opinions. They, They have different upbringings. They have different thought processes. And, So I have artists that are like, you know, this is all bullshit. COVID's not real, blah, blah, blah. I have artists that don't want to leave their homes until everyone in the world's been vaccinated. And I have everything in between. And it's not my place to tell any of them they're right or wrong. My personal opinions are irrelevant. My job is to help them move forward with whatever uh, opinion and, and feelings they have so that we can achieve whatever initiatives they may have based on those opinions. So if an artist says to me, you know, hey, like, I'm really not comfortable, like, I don't want to play any shows till 2022, um, you know, my response is going to be, not a problem. Let's start thinking about 2022. Hopefully by then it's safe enough to go back out and it feels right and we'll hit the road. If I have artists that say, hey, like, this is bullshit. I, I need to make a living. I have bills to pay. I have kids. I got to put food on the table. Like, I want to play a show next week. It's also not my job to tell them, like, no, you can't do that. Like, everyone has different needs and opinions. So my 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 response to that will be, okay, let's see where places are having shows at what capacities, whether it's reduced, does it make sense? And 
then to go and be their agent and, and, you know, find options and present it all to them. And then if they want to play, then we'll play. And if not, they won't. But I think that, um, so again, I'm not trying to dodge the answer. I'm just being honest that like, you know, my opinion doesn't matter. And I don't share it with the artists, not because I, uh, you know, don't want them to know. I just like, I don't think it's my place, especially being that like, the reality is no one, literally no one knows where we're going from here. Like, you know, um, every, you know, two months ago, three months ago, all of us would have said, of course, shows will be back on the road in the fall. Right. And now it's like, now everyone's like, no way. Um, so it's like, no one knows, no one knows the trajectory of this thing. And when things are going to get back to normal. So like, I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to, you know, like if, if an artist decides they want to play shows, I'll help them with that. If they decide they don't, I'll help them with that and figure out a strategy to come back stronger after a longer period of time away. But ultimately it's going to be up to the artist. That's a great answer. (laughs) That's a great answer. Uh, The, the, uh, that led me to think of something else is uh, something that I've been pondering with, with all the tours being postponed or delayed or pushed until next year, how is anyone going to be able to tour? Everyone's everything must already be booked or in the process of being on hold to be booked. I feel bad for bands like the hot topic bands that are getting all the hype this year that have just released something that are breaking right now. It's going to be hard for them to find a place to tour next year. I'm getting. Yeah. Um, you're a hundred percent right. And it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a challenge. You're going to have bands going out in a time where, Every band's on the road because every band's going to need to get back out and make a living. Uh, And you're combining that with an economy that is in the shitter and I believe going to get a lot worse before it gets better. So now fans are going to have, you know, three times, five times, ten times, whatever, as many shows to choose from with half as much money to choose with. So I think it is going to be a challenge. And that's why what I've been trying to convince a lot of my bands to do um, that I work with is if we had a tour that was on sale that we've postponed, I keep trying to postpone those further as opposed to canceling and rebooking a tour. Because my feeling is that going out, knowing all those challenges If you're a band that's already sold the tickets versus a band that's going out and has to sell all the tickets, I think it's a lot easier to ask a fan to not get their money back on a ticket that they've already mentally spent that money and it's gone in their mind, right? Like, and it may be a hassle to like reach out to Ticketmaster and this and that. They might just be like, already spent the money, it's gone, I've got my ticket, great. Whereas if you have a new show, you know, like you're trying to convince people to take money out of their wallet. I think that's a very different mental process. And so I think if shows were already on sale and had already sold tickets, you're way better off, you know, uh, keeping those fans engaged and, you know, hoping that there aren't too many returns as opposed to starting over. 
And we're actually, interestingly enough, seeing the redemption rate on the refunds very low. So fans seem to want to go to the shows no matter when they are. Um, you know, just they just don't know when. So we're, you know, we're just holding out hope it's sooner than later. That is very true. A hundred percent true. What you just said there. Um, I, I totally, totally think that, that, um, people want to go see shows still. They want, it's something that everyone is missing. And when, when bands get out back out on the road, people are going to be there and they're going to support the artists and that's what everyone should be doing. And, uh, I know I'm missing, you know, these live stream, you guys are involved with setting up live streams. We are, we're very involved in it. Yep. So, so can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Cause I, I like watching live streams, but it's, it's definitely missing like the physical assault of you know, sonically visually and being, you know, personal bubble space that, that a normal concert has. Uh, tell me about this, your opinion of what do you think of a live stream performance? I'm having like a hard time imagining myself portraying and giving the best show that I could give looking into a camera lens versus having every reciprocal energy coming from a crowd. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's not the same experience. And I, I think that as long as people don't view it as a substitute, as it, as being the same experience, but in a different way, as long as they view it as actually being a very different type of experience and they don't try to compare it to a live show, that it's just something totally different. Um, you know, like, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, but like, I don't know, you, you wouldn't compare like watching a music video to a live show, right? Like they're just different. They're two completely separate formats. And I guess that's what I'm getting at. I feel like live streaming, it has to be viewed as a totally separate format. It can't replace the live show. However, it can give the fan at least some closeness to the artist. It can see them playing the, the, the songs, still up there, sweating it out, like, you know, and, and putting on a great show. So that is awesome. And I think that that will live past the pandemic because I think bands will now figure out how to incorporate it into the new world where, you know, maybe on a tour they're playing some certain venue, like maybe they're going to play the Beacon in New York and it's like the first time and it's this iconic venue and they're like, man, like, wouldn't it be cool if all our fans around the world could see this? Mm. All right, well, let's, let's stream it. Or, you know, like fan clubs or VIP experiences or things like that. Like, I think, I think there's going to be a large business for it after this because it's not a, re it, again, it's not a replacement. It's just something totally different. You know what I mean? That's that's how I view it. I mean, you know, other people may disagree, but so. So, yeah, so we got really into it because we knew a bunch of our artists would want to do it. We knew a lot of the fans would want to see it. And it's a way to keep the fans engaged and, you know, really kind of um, still be a band, not just sit at home waiting for this thing to end. But it's a way to actually accomplish something in 2020, which is not an easy task, you know? So, um, <laughs> so it's been a cool thing to see the bands that have really gone all in on it. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing some great success on it. You know, we did the, like through our platform, we did, we've done two clutch shows already. We've done Thursday, we did down, um, you know, we've done a ton of them and we've got a ton more coming up. And it's uh, it's been really good, and it's yeah, it's only going to keep 
keep getting better. Very cool. And uh, shout out to Behemoth, who put on probably my favorite one that I've seen. Just, just all in full production in this old church. It was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't see that. It was amazing. And, and I also want to think and I pick your brain on the fact uh, I think that record labels are going to start putting live stream into record contracts. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't think you're wrong. Um, I think there will probably be some aspect of that. Um, I know an RN cause we own Velocity Records, um, and so, like, I started that label, like, 12 years ago and, like, signed Paris and a bunch of different bands over the years, and um, and we are actually in the middle of some pretty excite. like, not going to say anything about it yet, but there will be some pretty big announcements relating to Velocity Records over the next couple months, and um, so, but as far as... Uh, it goes for us. We haven't really discussed that side of it. I don't know if that's because labels like it just not not something that uh, we think's appropriate, and maybe other labels will agree, or if it's because we're agents and we are now in the live streaming business, so we have a different view on it and think it should be separate. I'm not really sure, um, but I do. I definitely won't be surprised if a lot of labels start to try to incorporate those rights somehow. Absolutely. I totally think it's going to happen. <laughs> Dave, thank you so, so much for uh, hanging out with me, uh, talking about your life, talking about some music, talking about some music business, which I don't get a lot on the podcast, but I, I'm very interested in all that. And uh, talking about uh, Sound Talent Media, which is uh, the podcast network, which uh, Vox and Hops is now proudly a part of. Uh, I greatly appreciate it, and I'm super stoked to be with you. Thank you so, so much, Dave. Cheers, and uh, stoked to hang out again. Thanks for having me, and thanks for being part of the network. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. What a great chat with Dave. I love digging into people who work in the music industry. It is something that I have not done enough of, and it is something that I'm aspiring to do more of. I am super stoked to be a part of Sound Talent Media. I can't say that enough. It is an honor. I can't wait to see where this network goes. I am super stoked to see Vox and Hops grow alongside the network. But don't forget that Vox and Hops would have never gone anywhere if it wasn't for you, the Vox and Hops heads. I am super stoked that you guys have stuck around and have supported me and have shared some episodes and have spoken to your friends about it. I greatly, greatly appreciate each and every one of you. I do not want Vox and Hops to change just because I've joined the network. There will be some slight little changes, but mostly it is going to be exactly the same, and I'm making sure of that for all of you. This episode... As all Vox and Hoff's episode is, as you very well know now, brought to you by Sound Talent Media. I have one more episode coming at you tomorrow, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hoff's heads. Hello out there! Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. 
If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!